Matthew chapter 26, we'll be reading verses 39 through 46. Again, that's Matthew 26, verses 39 through 46. And I will be reading from the New King James Version. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. phrase we want on which we want to focus this morning is he went on a little further how far had jesus already come well out of the palace of heaven with the 12 gates each of a pearl into a world of woe from the pinnacle of glory to the stable in bethlehem All the way from the bosom of the Father to the womb of the Virgin Mary. After leaving heaven, the Messiah had gone to Bethlehem, to Egypt, to Nazareth, to Capernaum, to the lake country around about Galilee, to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west. He went as a pilgrim, he went as a preacher and a teacher. He was an itinerant prophet, a homeless stranger in the world, he had, cre- he had created with his own might. As if that wasn't far enough, he went on a little further. He went the dark and dreadful second mile. But that is what he always taught, wasn't it? And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain, Matthew five forty one. All people need to trace those steps and measure their length, spanning the great gulf of agony each step of the way until he came to the last one of them all. That giant leap back to the place from where he came. The title of the sermon this morning is He Went a Little Further. But where did going a little further take him? That's the question, and that's an important question. The world needs to understand that, but especially Christians need to recognize where a little further took the greatest man the world has ever known. We're going to see first, a little further took him to Gethsemane, where he gained victory over the flesh. Now Jesus was not trying to oppose the Father when He asked for the cup of suffering to be taken away. In fact, He affirmed His desire to do the will of the Father. He said, nevertheless, not as I, 
but as thou wilt. His victory over the flesh realized in his prayer because his terrible suffering is realized. The writer of Hebrews said this, Hebrews 5 verse 7, he said, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. The Son of Man, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, bowed down in sorrow in Gethsemane, trembling with fear and agony, pleading with the Father, take this cup from me if there's any other way. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You see, he was gaining victory over the flesh. His agony was worse than the death itself. The stress of the impending punishment prior to the cross was weighing upon the man. And then, of course, the cross itself prior to his spirit going back to the Father. The flesh cried out for relief. But the desire to do the will of the Father overcame those desires. You see, Paul spoke about the, the differences between the works of the flesh and the, the works of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 19 through 25. He, talk, he talked about that vast difference in, in what the works of the flesh were as opposed to what the fruit of the Spirit was and how each manifests itself. Jesus overcame the battle which raged within Him and He is the example set before us. That's exactly what Peter said, isn't it? That's the example we are to follow, 1 Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were ye, were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps. See, it wasn't just not wanting to suffer such a cruel death physically, Jesus suffered through life with all the temptations that any other person would suffer through. All the while, particularly through that about three and a half years of His ministry, understanding where that road led. What was the end result? Where would it stop? Knowing that, hanging over His head the whole time, how much rest and relaxation can come about because of that? The writer of Hebrews proclaimed, Hebrews 4, beginning with 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, his little, a little further took him to Gethsemane, where he did not oppose the Father. And here's what people need to determine. Are we going to follow his example? Are Christians going to continue to be obedient in all circumstances? Are those who are outside a covenant relationship of God going to be obedient? and then continue in that obedience? If a person allows himself to be separated from God in life, he will certainly be separated from God in death. If a person is separated from God in death, he will certainly be separated from God 
in eternity. That's just the way it is. We're reminded of the rich man and Lazarus, Luke 16, 19 through 31. The rich man chose separation in this life and then he was given separation in death and in eternity. Now that's not what he wanted. He wanted to have closeness in eternity, didn't he? He didn't want to have anything to do with the beggar Lazarus in this life. He didn't even want to give him the crumbs that fell from his table. But in eternity, in death, he wanted Lazarus to come to where he was so he could put a drop of water on his tongue that was burning as he was tormented in these flames. Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he might dip his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in these flames. You see, Father Abraham said, No, son. You see, there's this great gulf that is fixed that those who would go to you cannot and those from you cannot come to here. But I've got these five brothers and I don't want them to join me in this place. Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Yeah, but if someone from the dead would go to them, no, not so. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets, they would not hear one who came from the dead. The problem is he wanted to change his mind in eternity, but it is too late. At that point, separation in life means separation in death. We don't get second chances once we enter into eternity. Once time ends, our choices and our chances end. The writer of Hebrews warned, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. This life is the time for preparation, not the next one. The whole point is the faithful walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. Jesus went a little farther, and it took Him to Gethsemane where He gained victory over the flesh. And then it took Him to... Gabbatha, where he gained victory over the world. Open your Bible to John 19.13. John 19.13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Gabbatha was the very place where Jesus stood while being judged by Pilate. The very spot was a tiled area in which those being judged stood before the Burma or the Bema or the judgment seat. The Bema was kind of a stage-like area upon which the judgment seat sat. Gabatha was a tiled area down in front of it. And they still have that area that has been excavated today. You can find pictures of it. You can look it up. You can see where Roman soldiers had scribed on it, playing games. And that's where Jesus stood before Pilate as He was judged before the people. He stood there. According to Luke, Pilate initially... Determined to avoid the whole problem. He didn't want to have anything to do with him. He determined since in his mind Jesus was from Galilee, he said, I'm going to send him to Antipas. 
Antipas is in charge of those people in the north. That's his jurisdiction. Let me send him up there. Of course, Antipas had, of course, been acquainted with the work of Jesus and his career for some time, believing at one point that he was, in fact, the incarnation of John the baptizer whom he had beheaded because John did not approve of his adulterous marriage with his brother Philip's wife. And true to his reputation, Antipas had little interest in Jesus beyond some cheap entertainment, wanting him to perform some kind of a miracle before him. Of course, Jesus, unwilling to make a reply to the weak ruler, let alone provide a show for him, he met his mockery simply with silence. Antipas, being disappointed, being disgusted, sent Jesus back to Pilate back to Gabbatha. So it was there at Gabbatha where Pilate asked Jesus if he was king of the Jews. Are you a king? The second time he asked Jesus, he replied, Thou sayest that I am king. John 18, 38. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. It was then that Pilate asked that question, What is truth? And then he went before the people and he said, I find no fault in this man. And then of course, keeping with tradition associated with the Passover, he offered them a choice. I'm going to free a prisoner. Jesus, this man in whom I find no fault, this innocent man, or Barabbas, a known seditionist, a thief, a murderer, John 18, 39-40, of course, they chose Barabbas. Through it all, though, he overcame the attempts of Satan. Even though he stood in judgment before Rome and the Jewish leaders, it was really though them who were in his jurisdiction, wasn't it? They tried to judge him, but they were in his jurisdiction. By overcoming the best efforts of the Roman governor and the religious leaders, Jesus became the Savior of the world. The writer of Hebrews declared, Hebrews 1 beginning with verse 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the world. He also wrote, Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Everyone and everything is subject to the jurisdiction of the Christ. He sits in the position of power in heaven at the right hand of the Father, the power position. Remember what he told Pilate. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, but he still has all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, 18. He does rule in the kingdoms of men, Daniel 4, 17, whether they realize it or not. Jesus comforted His disciples 
And it stands today. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus went a little further, and it took him to Gethsemane, where he gained victory over the flesh. It took him to Gabbatha, where he gained victory over the world. Then his little further took him to Golgotha, where he gained victory over Satan. John recorded this, John 19, beginning with verse 16. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one and Jesus in the midst. It was at Golgotha where Jesus died to remove what Satan introduced into the world. Sin. The Lord of this world, Satan, was defeated by the Lord of heaven. Sin cannot stand strong in the face of truth. It's just not going to happen. Satan tasted that defeat in the wilderness, Matthew 4, verse 11, didn't he? 1 through 11. Notice what happened in that wilderness. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, tempted the whole time, tempted the whole 40 days, 40 nights. We read about the three final attempts upon the Savior. Change those stones into bread, it is written. If thou be the Son of God, it is written. Fall down and worship me, for it is written. Light dispels darkness. Truth dispels sin. Jesus freed what Satan had enslaved. The Christ bought back what the great adversary had stolen from God. It took time. But God's plan defeated the one who defeated Adam and Eve through trickery and lies. John encouraged his readers when he wrote this, 1 John 4, 4. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan has been defeated. The cross became the dividing line for all eternity for all people. Because of the cross for the Christian death is the last shadow before heaven's dawn. Death is not the extinguishing light. It is putting out the lamp because dawn has come. For the Christian death is not gloom. It is glory. Death is not the end, but the beginning. For the Christian, death is not a tragedy, it is triumph. Death cannot sever what Christ unites. God wants all people to be happy forever, but that will only be true 
for the faithful Christian. You see, Jesus went a little further. And it took him to Gethsemane where he gained victory over the flesh. It took him to Gabbatha where he gained victory over the world. It took him to Golgotha where he gained victory over Satan. And finally, it took him to the grave where he gained victory over death. Christ's death was a fulfillment of prophecy from long ago. And now the world can ask this question. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The victory is there. Heaven wins, Satan loses. The Father wins, Satan loses. Christ wins, Satan loses. The Holy Spirit wins, Satan loses. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. But what does that mean for us? It means forgiveness. That means life for anyone who chooses. It means forgiveness. It means we win, Satan loses. It means we can be forgiven of all sin. It means we can have eternity in heaven. It means we can go to heaven and live forever in eternal glory surrounding the throne of heaven. Jesus going a little further to the grave helped provide all of that for us. But we have to do our part. Listen to the words of Jesus. For if you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins. John 8, 24. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who believes not shall be condemned. Mark 16, 16. And he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed. Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Matthew 26, 39. Matthew recorded it was just a little further for Jesus. But those were giant steps for us. For Jesus, it was to Gethsemane for a victory over the flesh. For Jesus, it was to Gabbatha for a victory over the world. For Jesus, it was to Golgotha for victory over Satan. For Jesus, it was to the grave for the victory over death. The greater question is this. What steps are we willing to take for Christ? What is our a little further? Peter said, For to this you were called. 
because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. 1 Peter 2, 21. That's a big statement. Are we willing to follow Him through the waters of baptism? Through the wilderness of temptation? To the house of worship? To the mountain of prayer? To the cross of suffering? Through the garden of despair? Through the valley of death? To the throne of God? We talked about God's plan of salvation. That's how we get to Him. There's a second law of pardon. For those who've done that and become unfaithful, that's repentance, confession, and prayer. God wants us back. If you're willing to go a little further, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.